0: We interrupt our program to bring you this important message.
1: This is Leprechaun Lunch with Sean Styers and Jim
2: Irizarry on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Along with Jimmy Rizzieri, Sean Steyer's Leprechaun Lunch on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We are presented by First State Bank committed to being a premier financial partner. First State Bank demonstrates and delivers hometown values. Big game coming up tomorrow. And I just realized I did not do this intentionally. It must have been subconsciously. I've got my red WKRP in Cincinnati t-shirt on today. (laughs) So... (laughs) not that it matters it's radio but i just literally (laughs) thought about this right as we were coming on air how are you today jim
1: i'm good that actually got me thinking about a shirt that i have i haven't worn it in a while but uh the heavy metal band that went through wkrp in cincinnati yeah i have a shirt for that for that fictional band so
2: is that the one that uh like tore the Tore everything apart and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, like,
1: they show up in suits and then proceed to tear everything apart.
2: Right. They so. like the older people. Like <laughs> you know, Mr. Carlson was very impressed because they look so nice in their suits. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. I don't remember the name of that man. I wish I uh, could. I've, it, I've it, got the DVDs somewhere. Yeah. It, so. It's it's something death. I think. <laughs> that sounds right. So something that death. Sounds right. So a couple of top ten teams going at it tomorrow with notre dame and cincinnati going ahead to head it is uh you know depending on which rankings you look at notre dame eight nine cincinnati seven nine but this is the fourth like if you look at the ap cincinnati is seventh notre dame is ninth it's the fourth ap top 10 matchup at notre dame stadium since 2005, both USC and Notre Dame were top 10 in 2005 that was the push push game. Of course, three years ago, 2018, you had Notre Dame and Stanford and then last year you had number two versus number one Clemson and Notre Dame and of course Notre Dame won two of the three and they they didn't quite win the Bush push game uh, but uh, beat Stanford in 2018 en route to their first college football playoff trip, and then last year beat number one Clemson going to the college football playoff as well. Will they, they emerge victorious tomorrow? We'll uh, jump into that a little bit. Coming up in a little bit, Keith Jenkins from the Cincinnati Inquirer will uh, join us to preview the Bearcats for tomorrow. We've got some game props for Notre Dame's game as well as other games coming up in a little bit as well jim i will let you do the honors though you can hit me with your first question of the day
0: all
1: right and this is something i, I saw on uh irishbreakdown.com okay basically the headline time to give drew pine a shot as the notre dame quarterback oh boy do you think it's <laughs> do you think it's time this week
2: i don't okay because <laughs> i don't be, either i totally to, agree to be blunt yeah. yeah um i mean i i understand. The thinking, and I think that we have all thought it, after seeing a different kind of mobility that Drew Pine had in last week's game that, that Jack Cohn doesn't. Not everything is on Jack Cone. Not everything is mm-hmm. on the offensive line. Most of it is on the offensive line. I just think that in a game like this where it is, uh, you know, at, at least ranking-wise right now going to be the toughest opponent you're going to see the rest of the way, you know, at least until a bowl game. Toughest opponent you're going to see uh, in the regular season. I, I do still think that experience that Jack Cohn has matters. Now, there are a few things he can do better. Like Brian Kelly talked about the fact that, you know, he likes it. priority number one with Jack Cohn is getting the ball out on time. Mm-hmm. One of the comments that he made the other day was Jack Cohn is going to be a guy who is going to go through his Progressions, and there were times like rewatching last week's game where <laughs> going through those progressions cost you a sack or two. Yeah, you know, and 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 that's part of it. But there were other times when Jack Cohn, you know, like the the, the trip down field where Notre Dame ended up, where Jonathan Door ended up missing the field goal at the end. You know, it was still in the first quarter. That was a really nice drive that they put together. You know, again, now was it a perfect drive? No. But when Jack Cone had time to go through his progressions, which you want every quarterback to do, you don't just want him willy-nilly throwing the ball up there and, and you know and, and and putting it in danger situations. You want a quarterback to go hit through his progressions, find the open man, make the proper throws. And Jack Cone did did that on that drive in particular. No, there were other drives as well, but like that drive ended up stalling out inside the 15-yard line because it was pass, 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 get the ball downfield, now we're in the red zone, and then they run the ball twice, <laughs> right. and did did nothing with the run game, which was completely baffling after seeing them move the ball down there, so the, the, the long and the short, you know, I, I understand that Drew Pine has a little bit more mobility, but again, this is the best defense they're going to see all season, the Cincinnati defense, it mirrors, uh, you know, to a large degree what Jack Cohn and the Irish have seen in practice. Now Drew, Drew Pine has faced some of that in practice as well, but I just think between the experience, between um, you know what Brian Kelly wants, what he's talked about, the timing, the ability to get the ball downfield more consistently with those throws that Jack Cohn can make, I still think he's the only quarterback uh, on the roster who can consistently make those kind of throws, like the throw that we saw on the touchdown pass to Kevin Austin. You know, great catch by Kevin Austin, but still jack Cohn put the ball where it needed to be so you know it is it is never going to be perfect and i just think that the experience and the skill set that jack Cohn has with the arm still make him the guy to go with in this matchup and, and most matchups as long as he's healthy this year yeah i
1: agree with you i he hasn't done anything that makes you want to say he's got to get out of there right you know right he, like he's he's been playing fine He's he's been playing better than I think a lot of people thought he was going to play, yeah. So you know, I, for him to to lose it on an injury, you know, a minor injury at that, you know, would kind of be, well, crap, really.
2: Right. And now you can make the argument, and it's a it's a completely fair argument since the opening game, and I talked about this on uh, Budweiser's weekday sports beat last night since the opening game of the season when he completed 74% of his passes for a career high 366 he has declined like his mm-hmm. his numbers his completion percentage have been in the 50s ever since then and last week ended up being his worst start but you can also argue that you know one that is obviously due in part to the to the issues with with pass protection and the offensive line in front of him and two Florida State went into that game with a different game plan to attack Notre Dame's offense than anyone else has had this year because once everyone else saw the issues with the offensive line, saw the fact that Notre Dame has no consistent running game, they've been attacking Notre Dame differently with a lot more pressures and, you know, all that different kind of stuff. So, the the plan of attack in that game in in the in, you know, in the opener for Florida State for defenses has been different. As well, so I I think that that is a big factor. It's not just that Notre Dame's offensive line has those issues. It's that okay now defenses know, all right. They you know they're not going to run the ball that much. You know maybe they're going to hit a run here or there, but but defenses have been going after him differently. So that's also played into the fact that the completion percentage is different. And I just think that, you know, if you put Drew Pine on the field. You know you might have a different result here or there just because of the mobility and, and, and things like that, but I just I, I don't think it's going to look better. you know th- there's not going to be enough more upside to that. I, I think Jack Cohn is just the guy to go with.
1: Now kind of pulling off of that a little bit, do you see any possibility that all three guys get in?
2: Well, I think the only way all three guys get in is if there's an injury. Because, okay. you know, again, what, what, what Brian Kelly, one of the comments that he made yesterday when, when he was asked, to, you know, because he was, he, he was asked this week about does does your offensive line, you know, kind of what we're talking about, does your offensive line situation precipitate the need to, to have a guy like Drew Pine with a little bit more ability? And then he was asked yesterday about, you know, ha- past experiences – having two quarterbacks like all the way back to his time in 2009 with Cincinnati with Caleros and Pike and then in 2012 at Notre Dame with Tommy Reese and Everett Golson and what Brian Kelly talked about is the difference in the skill set like you know does does bringing it does using this other guy he's got to have a skill set that is you know noticeably different from the first guy. And essentially you have even though Drew Pine has a little bit more ability, more mobility, Jack Cohn and Drew Pine still have, by and large, very similar skill sets. They mm-hmm. are more pocket guys, whereas mm-hmm. Tyler Buckner is the package guy because he can get out and he can run the ball and do those things. So it's it's really yeah, Drew Pine is a little bit more mobile than Jack Cone, but really they're still going to be, you know, more traditional pocket drop back pros you know pro style quarterbacks whereas Tyler Buckner is more dual threat. He's got the completely different skill set than the other two. So I think the only way that we see all three is if there's an injury, you know, if if Jack Cohn's injury or you know if there's another injury that would knock him out of the game and then we see Drew Pine. But otherwise I think it it is it's Jack Cohn and then we see packages with Tyler Buckner. And again that's assuming Buckner is healthy enough to go two weeks after that hamstring injury against Purdue.
1: All right. Question number two. Kurt Heinisch going to be out for the second straight game uh, this week, the concussion that he got during the, uh, during the Purdue game. Mm-hmm. How, you know, game plan-wise, how much of a co- uh, cause for concern is that?
2: Uh, you know what? I, I don't think it would be. I would have thought it would be more of a concern last week against mm-hmm. Wisconsin because of the fact that they are so run heavy. That you know that is not Cincinnati. Now Jerome Ford is a nice running back, 300 yards. He's averaging six yards a carry, and combine that with Desmond Ritter, you know the, the quarterback, so that they've got you know a nice little kind of you know rushing attack. But at the same time, again. If it wasn't a problem last week against Cincinnati or against Wisconsin, I don't see it being a big issue today against Cincinnati. Because tomorrow—did I say today? Tomorrow against Cincinnati. <laughs> tomorrow is more about you've got to contain Desmond Ritter. You still have to, you still have to account for Jerome Ford, the, the running back, as part of the rushing attack. But it is more about. You can't let Ritter beat you getting outside of the pocket. It is about containing him, finding a way to make him as un- uncomfortable as possible in the pocket. So I, I think that that uh, Lacy and, and Cross did a, a really good job last week with what they brought them. Cross, uh, particularly. So I don't think that there is a huge concern about Heinisch being out. I mean, you would still want him in there, but again. Last week should have been more of a concern, but Notre Dame did such a great job just completely shutting down that Wisconsin rushing attack that I don't think it is nearly as big an issue this week as it seemed like it would have been last week against Wisconsin.
1: All right. And then question number three. This is kind of a more of a fun question, really. Okay. Um, could Cincinnati in the very near future be home to two Heisman Trophy winners? Because you got the pro game, you know Joe Burrow won the Heisman Trophy, <laughs> and he's looking pretty good, you know, yeah. for yeah. Uh, for the Bengals. I mean, granted, I hadn't really played too many, but uh, and then you know Desmond Ritter, he's you know among those guys who's being talked about for it still.
2: No, that's right, and, and I mean, um, I, I, I'm gonna say no. I, I, I'm obviously if Desmond Ritter has a big game tomorrow then that vaults him and i mean i'm talking about a big game and that includes winning obviously then that vaults him into the heisman trophy conversation because cincinnati if they win tomorrow they're not going to have any problems the rest of the way i mean if you look at at the heisman odds right now it's not a lot of names that you know and even desmond ritter has better odds right now than Spencer Rattler. Like, I'm looking at FanDuel right now, and Desmond Ritter has the fourth-best odds currently for the Heisman Trophy at plus 2,000 on FanDuel. Matt, FanDuel. Matt Corral, Bryce Young, JT Daniels, Ritter, and then Spencer Rattler, whom Oklahoma fans you know, were booing last week. Right. So <laughs> They're I, a I fickle that, bunch there. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. The, the biggest problem for Desmond Ritter to win this thing one he's got to have a huge game tomorrow but two there's no teeth in the schedule the rest of the way they're not going to get right. any national attention the rest of the of of, of the way tomorrow is it for him okay. like if he wants to make a statement for the Heisman trophy and then he's obviously got to play pretty spotless the rest of the season they they can't be upset or anything like that so i just I don't see it. I mean, I can see him having a good game tomorrow and everything, but I don't see it because you're still talking about right now a group of 5 player and whether it's teams or players you come from the group of 5, you're going to have a hard time, you know, getting that real national attention, getting the votes like that. So if if this Notre Dame game was in mid to late November and you know, he shined on national TV and all that stuff, then maybe he could, but I I, th- I just think that it's going to be too tough for Desmond Ritter to uh, to pull something like that off. Okay, what you got? All right. All right. Well, I will throw a few at you now, Jimbo. Starting with last week's game against since our, uh, was I keep I keep doing it. All that red is is what's throwing me off. Fill a little confusing. Yeah,
1: I can understand. Yeah, Notre
2: Dame's <laughs> went over Wisconsin last week was blank. Um, uh, that fourth quarter
1: was sure unexpected. Uh, as far as the <laughs> defensive side goes yes um I thought it I thought it was to. I thought it was as good as it was advertised as good as it was going to be I thought uh, you know there it, you had two defensive teams you know definitely flexing their muscle Wisconsin you know was flexing more you know at the start of the game and then you know of course you got the big flex of defense from Notre Dame at the end yeah um you know you had you know, good offensive play. You know, you know, plenty of highlights, all that. I, I, thought, I thought it was
2: as good as advertised. Yeah, to me, I, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by this, but I am. I, just the number of people who look at the final score. You know, even people who are, you know, like Notre Dame fans who are watching the game and who come out of that saying, "Well, Notre Dame dominated Wisconsin." Well, no, they didn't, <laughs> because yeah, for for th- literally three quarters of the game. It was a tie game mm-hmm. and then Wisconsin was up thirteen to ten. Notre Dame dominated the fourth quarter. You know, they they dominated the fourth quarter. They did not dominate the game. It was a grinder of a game, ugly at times for three fourths of that game, and then as soon as Notre Dame swung some momentum in their direction, and I think that momentum started with holding Wisconsin to the field goal after the strip sack on, on Drew Pine that gave Wisconsin the football at notre dame's 39 yard line they weren't able to muster that much yards out of that they settle for a 27 yard field goal so then wisconsin's only up by three and then boom all the momentum does swing chris tyree returns the ensuing kickoff 96 yards for a touchdown Uh, notre dame is able to come up with a strip sack of their own they turn that into drew pine to kevin austin touchdown and now they're up that's the first time that either team had been up by multiple scores Mm -hmm. in that game after Notre Dame was able to get that strip sack and turn it into a touchdown and so that changed the whole complexion of the game it made Wisconsin come out of the game you know that they really you know the game plan that they really wanted to run pound the ball and all that stuff Graham Mertz obviously was not up for the task three straight interceptions (laughs) Cam Hart Jack Kaiser drew white and obviously two of them turning into pick six so now but you know by that point but it was a slugfest for yeah. the, for the better part of three quarters it's just that notre dame dominated the fourth quarter so i have a hard time saying notre dame dominated the game they dominated the fourth quarter by by really yep. and again to me it started with the defense coming up with that stop holding wisconsin to the field goal after the drew pine strip sack
1: have we figured out who uh who wanted to give graham Mertz the game ball by the way No. (laughs) No comments on that. We'll probably never know.
2: (laughs) At least Graham Mertz wasn't uh, making pseudo guarantees and talking about, you know, silencing the crowd and all that kind of stuff in advance. So if Notre Dame beats (laughs) Cincinnati tomorrow, do you buy or sell them going undefeated in the regular season? Ah,
1: Looking at their schedule, I mean,. You got Cincinnati tomorrow. The game next week against Virginia Tech—that's not a cakewalk.
2: Still shapes up to be tough. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that,
1: that—that's not a cakewalk. Uh, North Carolina's still good, although they lost Georgia Tech last week. And then, of course, you know Georgia Tech's on the schedule, uh, and yeah. and looking to uh, looking to get better as the season goes on. So, is it easier for me to start thinking that way? Yes. You know, I, I can start buying it a little bit. It's conceivable, at least in my mind but you know they're they're going to
2: have to show up for for each of these games still. That's right. And you know the the toughest part about making this a buy I think is the fact that yes, Notre Dame is 4 and 0 right now, but every one of those four games has been a one possession game in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And you know again, last week's score ended up being a blowout, but that is not indicative of how the game was played for the majority of that game and i mean purdue toledo i mean toledo they were trailing with a minute and a half to go and they had to come back at the end and and get the touchdown they obviously blew a big lead against florida state now the defense has gotten better every week but i just think that when you look at you know like you said going to virginia tech next week then they have usc north carolina navy virginia georgia tech stanford they are all completely winnable games but every game has been completely winnable so far and right. they've been completely losable because of the fact that it's been so close so like if i were rating this scale of one to ten i would give it a nine i know that wasn't the question but so i feel pretty strongly mm-hmm. that they can but like i'll also say you mentioned georgia tech don't uh, don't look at anyone's record right now because yeah. the margin has been so slim on either side because again yeah, Notre Dame's the one sitting here four and zero, but those four opponents are you know like a combined two games under five hundred right now that they've beaten. So don't don't look at anyone's record that Notre Dame is going to play and think that they're going to be a pushover. It's going to be tough. Georgia Tech made Clemson play an ugly fourteen to eight game a couple of weeks ago. They've beaten North Carolina, and that game is going to be on Senior Day in the middle of November and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not writing anyone off. Like I said, yeah. I, I I guess. I give it. I give it a, a. I'm buying it, but again, I'm not. Com- you know, I'm not completely pushing all my chips to the middle of the table on that buy either.
1: Right. Now, granted, you know, this is a. You know, the Georgia Tech we're talking about already. Uh, you know, they did lose to Northern Illinois and Citadel. Right. <laughs> but at the same time, but took ben, you know took yeah. Clemson. You know, to the end of the game, and then they whooped up on North Carolina last week. So they did. Uh, you know that it's a team that seems to be getting better as the season goes on. So who knows where they're going to be uh, come senior day? So yep,
2: that's right. He's Jim Irizarry. I'm Sean Steyers. The Leprechaun Lunch on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Our presenting sponsor is First State Bank, committed to being a premier financial partner. First Bank, State Bank demonstrates and delivers hometown values. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Contact Mary Vag in South Bend or Kimberly Thibodeau in South Bend. We are also presented by Four Winds Casino, your entertainment escape. Legacy Heating and Air, your cooling and clean air specialists. Find them online at legacyheatingandairinc.com. South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. Wings, etc. Grill and Pub with 14 Michiana area locations. Stop in today or order yours online at togo.wingsetc.com. Don't forget, Notre Dame versus Cincinnati kicks off at 2.30 Eastern time tomorrow here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Game day coverage starts at 8 with a replay of the Brian Kelly show. And then from 9 to 11, the game day show with Tim Growl and Vince D'Addario and plenty of guests as well. 11 to 1.30, game day, 30 to 2.30, the Notre Dame Radio Network tailgate show. Game kicks off a little after 2.30, and then Evan Sharpley and I, the former Notre Dame quarterback, have the Notre Dame postgame show after that. So that's what tomorrow looks like here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A timeout, and then we will talk with Keith Jenkins from the Cincinnati Enquirer about tomorrow's opponent, Cincinnati. That's coming up next on the Leprechaun Lunch, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, Getting ready for Notre Dame versus Cincinnati tomorrow. And we are joined right now by Keith Jenkins, who covers the Cincinnati Bearcats for the Cincinnati Enquirer. I, I guess maybe for starters, but, you know, Brian Kelly, of course, came to Notre Dame from Cincinnati. It's been over 12 years now. Marcus Freeman came over last year. I know it was at least talked about, the Marcus Freeman element. At, at the press conference today, how much of of a thing, I guess, are those two things kind of in the lead-up to this game from a Cincinnati perspective?
3: I think from a fan perspective, it's a lot. <laughs> Fans are all about this, right? I mean, they're not happy that Marcus left. They're still not over the way that Brian Kelly left. Um, and They're rooting for Cincinnati and Luke Fickle to – to take this thing further than Brian Kelly ever did and to show Marcus why he should have never left Cincinnati in the first (laughs) place. Um, But internally, you know, it's just some noise that they have to block out. Look, I mean, you know, Luke talked about it today. A lot of the players on that defense, heck, 90% of them are there because of Marcus Freeman. Many of those guys committed to Cincinnati because they built a relationship with Marcus. Um, and then he leaves, and some of them—not all of them—but some of them are still a little wounded by his his departure, and and want to show him what he's missing out on and why he shouldn't have left. But I think all in all, you know, it's a lot of noise outside of the program that they'll have to just block out and play good football. Luke kept saying, "Look, by the time the ball's kicked and and it goes up and it's and it's caught, all that stuff goes out of the window. It's it's time to play football." Sure. Um, so I think yeah, there's some noise. Um, and and with the added emotion and the added storylines there, that's going to add to this thing. But all in all, man, I just think it's, it's just one other thing that these guys and, and Luke Fickle have to just block out before Saturday.
2: Well, and you know, I watched some of that press conference today and, and Marcus Freeman did come up with, with, uh, Luke Fickle and. He basically said, you know, there's there's not going to be any real niceties, you know, between him and Freeman sure. before the game. I, I didn't get the feeling there was there was really any hard feelings though. Is that kind of the vibe you get, you know, as far as the head coach and Freeman are concerned?
3: No doubt, no doubt. I mean, Luke is is uh he's a football guy, he's a man's man. Um and i what I mean by that is he's just here to play a football game. You know, all that extra stuff, like I'm just here to bring my guys, you bring your guys, we'll line them up and make the best man win. Mm-hmm. He's not getting caught up in the relationships and the history and all that good stuff. Um, Marcus is a, like a son to him. I mean, they've known each other since Marcus was 15 years old. Of course, he, we, you know, everyone knows the story. He recruited right. him Ohio State, you know, played for him. Marcus was great under him, then later became his defensive coordinator, the only defensive coordinator he's had at Cincinnati – um, before leaving, so you look, I, you know, he, he. I asked him. I said, "Are you guys going to go out to dinner at one point and, and, and kind of, you know, just have some jokes before the game?" He's like, uh uh uh-uh, we're not doing any of that." He's like, "I don't understand when I watch the NFL guys and see them exchanging jerseys and taking pictures after games. None of that stuff makes sense to me. Like, I'm maybe I'm just," he said, "to blame it on his upbringing." <laughs> so you don't expect to see any, you know, "kumbaya" moments and all that <laughs> stuff. It's not because he. Not because he has any um ill will or anything towards Marcus, it's just and from his perspective, they'll get to that stuff in the off season. Right now, both teams, both coaches have a lot to play for and a lot to be focused on and all those relationships and friendships and all that stuff can wait until this thing is over. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well and you know, with Freeman in mind there's always that question: Does either side have any advantage to this? The coaches always just you know downplay it. What what, what do you think? Is there any advantage to either side from the Freeman connection?
3: Yeah, I mean it, it's hard to say because you could say that. Look, Marcus knows Desmond Ritter extremely well. He knows his strengths and his weaknesses. He can figure out you know how to confuse him and how to attack him and this and that. Well look, Cincinnati knows all his tricks too, right? So yeah, it's gonna be an interesting, you know, tug of war on it's on Saturday to see who can really fare, find the true advantage. And then look, like Mike Trestle is the DC here now, but they all come from the same coaching tree. They all come from that trestle tree where they run similar things and they have similar coverages and similar stunts and blitz packages and all that good stuff. So I think defensively I don't think either team is going to do anything to surprise each other. It's just going to be a matter of who can execute better, um, you know, who can win their one-on-one matchups, who can not turn over the football. We saw Notre Dame last week; they were very opportunistic. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati has been that for the past three, four seasons. So who can create those turnovers? You know, who will be Notre Dame's quarterback? <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, so exactly. it, 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 it'll be it'll be interesting. I, but I, and then you got to think too, from the offensive perspective. Mike Denbrock is the OC at Cincinnati. Where mm-hmm. did he come from? Notre Dame. Right. Um, one of the top receivers at Cincinnati, Michael Young Jr. Where did he come from? Notre Dame. So there's so many, you know, storylines and, and interesting twists and turns of this game. But I think all in all, it's going to come down to who can execute better and who can hold on to the football.
2: It is. It's deep, deep connections in this game. And, and I was actually just sitting down and, and listing them all today, and I was like, man, there are they're a lot in this game. Keith Jenkins from the Cincinnati Enquirer covers the Bearcats. And, and just real quick on on Mike Trestle, you mentioned him. He came over from Michigan State to replace Freeman. They're only allowing 15 points a game so far. It, it sounds like maybe – The biggest difference in philosophy, like we found out pretty quickly how aggressive Freeman is. It it sounds like maybe Trestle not quite as aggressive. Is that kind of how you would, you know, kind of uh, characterize it?
3: Yeah, I think that's fair. When you watch them, it's a little different. Um, The players have said that Trestle likes to focus more on pre-snap. You know, pre-snap, making sure their minds and they know exactly what they're looking at before the snap of the ball. Whereas Freeman likes to focus on the the between the snap and the post-snap diagnosis and things of that nature. Um, but they're very, very similar. I mean, there maybe their coaching styles are a little different, but as far as what they're teaching, um, are, are very similar. And look, man, I mean, this Cincinnati team, you know, Trestle Tressel inherited, I don't know, five graduate guys and and those super seniors and he's got two all-conference corners and the same linebackers and the all-conference defensive end and so he didn't do he's not doing a great deal of different things that Freeman did because look if they're all the same pieces let's just keep it rolling sure. we'll figure out maybe some newer things once these guys leave um, but for now a lot of what's being done out there is a lot of what You know, you saw over the past three, four years under Freeman, a little tweaks in there, but for the most part, it's pretty much the same defense at Cincinnati.
2: Now, you mentioned Mike Denbrock, the offensive coordinator coordinator there, and he's been on Fickle's staff since day one, back with the 2017 season, and he kind of became the odd man out here at Notre Dame when Brian Kelly shook up his staff a few years back. How would you gauge the impact that Denbrock's had on that offense?
3: He's had a, a pretty good impact. I think we thought that he was going to leave last year um, or, or in the offseason to go to Vanderbilt. He was up for that offensive coordinator mm-hmm. position there. Obviously, maybe not a um, step up, but obviously going to the SEC, I think he had some interest there. But he's ended up staying. What he's done a good job of is um, with Desmond Ritter's development. Desmond, when he started – Look, a lot of colleges didn't want Desmond Ritter out of high school. He came from Louisville, tall, lanky, athletic kid, not a tremendous quarterback yet. And what Mike Denbrock is able to do was continuously keep keep Desmond's head where it needs to be, keep his confidence level where it needs to be. And last year they had a really long COVID pause where, you know, the team struggled with the virus and some of their opponents did as well. So they were kept off of the field, I think something like 28 days, and during that pause, they were e- they were really able to um, make up for lost time, the time that they didn't have during the spring. And during that time, then Brock really sat down, Des, and said, look, man, relax. You're putting way too much on your shoulders. You got a lot of weapons out here. Use them. Trust them. And after that COVID pause, we saw a completely different quarterback from Desmond, and we ended up seeing the season that he ended up having last season and then also the growth um, that we've seen this year. So – I think I think Denbrock has done a great job of turning Desmond into a run-first quarterback to a true dual-threat quarterback with obviously great legs, but a quarterback who can be consistently accurate as well, which is something that was probably the biggest knock on Desmond. And the fact that that's no longer really a question is one of the reasons why uh, Denbrock has been so successful here.
2: Yeah, 31 total touchdowns Ritter had last year and, and nine already this year. In three games, is there is there a weakness really that he has right
3: now, Desmond? Honestly, I mean, I, I think it's it's the weakness was his accuracy, the okay. consistency with the ball, his placement. You know, and I think so far this season, he's he's answered that. He spent a lot of time in the off season with Jordan Palmer. He went to the um, the Manning Passing Academy and worked out with those guys. And, and became a really legit thrower of the football, which is why, you know, he's on a lot of NFL draft boards pretty early. Um, but his only weakness coming into this year was his consistency and accuracy as a passer. And so far, at least, he's been able to answer that. So um, he's had some shuffling of his offensive line here early. That's caused him some issues. Um, but we'll see how healthy they are going into Notre Dame. If they're healthy, I couldn't see why he wouldn't have a good game against the Irish.
2: Well, and another Notre Dame connection that you mentioned, former Irish receiver Michael Young, who's who's there, their yeah. second leading receiver right now. What have, what have you seen from Michael Young?
3: He's a great kid, man. And, and I think the best thing for him this season is he's one of the older guys. And, you know, he's the graduate player. He stayed for that extra year of eligibility because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And he's really seized that leadership role. Um, a lot of young guys on this team, a lot of young receivers are – putting up numbers, you know, uh, Jaden Thompson, Tyler Scott. These guys are sophomores, but are playing a pivotal role in this offense. And the reason why they have the confidence and the ability to do what they're doing is because Michael Young, I mean, he's, he's been a great leader, a great voice in that locker room, a steady voice. They've had some shaky moments so far this season, a rough start um, to the Murray state game, a rough start to the Indiana game, but it's guys like Michael Young um, that have been able to keep these guys' heads afloat and keep their confidence and their mind where it needs to be. So, yeah, he's a great player, no doubt about it, but I think the best thing about him is just his attitude, his approach, how hard he works in practice, and his ability to just be a great leader for them. Keith, when you look
2: at this matchup Saturday, Notre Dame-Cincinnati, is there a, a, a particular one that you're looking at, a particular you know matchup within the matchup that you're looking at in this game?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, I covered I covered Jack Cohn when he was at Wisconsin, 2019 season. Okay. And look, he's, I thought that I, when I covered Jack, I thought he was a very heady quarterback, a very smart quarterback, but there's nothing that he does that wows you, right? He's not a great athlete. He doesn't have a monster arm, but I think the big thing that he does well is he just doesn't make a great deal of mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, he puts the ball where it needs to be. He maybe not takes risks, which maybe some fans like, some fans don't, but he just he just kind of slow and steady. Um, this defense, and again, we'll see how both units react, and especially with that offensive line being as shaky as it has been <laughs> Notre Dame here early. Yes, But, you know, that defense for Cincinnati has given a lot of quarterback spits <laughs> over these past several years just with their different motions. And then, of course, um, they got two of the top corners in the country, in Ahmad Gardner and Kobe Bryant. So that battle with, you know, that chess match with those corners, those defensive backs going against Jack Cohn and those receivers. And then you guys are one of the guys got one of the top tight ends in the game. Right. So I'm curious to see who will be up on him. Are they going to put a safety down? Brian Cook, um, one of the safeties for Cincinnati. He came from Howard. He's from Cincinnati, but he transferred into Howard where he played corner. So he's got great coverage skills. Are they going to say, Hey, Brian, This week, we want you on him all game. So that'll be an interesting time because if if you can take – look, every quarterback loves a tremendous, reliable tight end. So Mm -hmm. if you can take him out of the game and somehow neutralize him, I think it could open up things for Cincinnati's defense. We'll see. It's going to be a great matchup. I'm looking forward to it.
2: No, absolutely. I I wanted to ask you real quick before we wrap up about Luke Fickle because he's become obviously – a hot commodity. He was mentioned at USC. Sure. He's got the connection to the AD there and, and all that. Do you think it's a foregone conclusion that Fickle moves on, or could this pending Big 12 affiliation, you know, could that be enough
3: to keep him around? What do you think? I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. Um, okay. it, it, it's, it's interesting to, to let fans into the type of guy that he is. Um, he's, a, he's a 100% family man. Right, family means everything to him. It's it's a part of the program that he's built here. He's got six kids. He and his wife, and what they've been able to do, and why Cincinnati has been so successful, is instead of instead of you know selling the facilities, and instead of selling the this and that and that. He's just made a focus on building a quality family atmosphere and selling the people that he has on his staff. One of those people were Marcus Freeman. If you've met Marcus, he's a great guy. He's a legit, genuine person. Mm-hmm. What he tells you is what it is. And that's a lot of the people that are, is, are that are around Fickle um, and that who Fickle is. So he's been able to build something here from the ground up. When he got this program, it was not in good shape. <laughs> Tupperville did not leave the the covered uh, stuff, if you will. <laughs> right. So he really had to build this thing. And the fact that he's been able to build it into what it is now is really something that makes him proud. And to see how it continues to grow, and there's still room with this Big 12 move. So he makes good money. He's the second highest paid coach in the group of five behind Dana Hogerson. When they get to the Big 12 and they figure out the finances of that, that money is only going to increase. He's not a West side guy. He's a guy in Ohio born and raised. He's been beating these recruiting trails all of his life. So I I don't think that the West side of the country is something that, that, that intrigues him and not only him, but his wife, because Amy has a big say in what, in what he ends up doing. Um, But I think, I think there are two jobs, two, two, and there's maybe some others, but there are two obvious jobs that are on his list. His alma mater, Ohio state. He'd love to get another crack at that. And then the other one is Notre Dame. You know, I think he loves that and the possibility. I don't think Brian Kelly's going anywhere anytime soon. But I think those are the two jobs that intrigue him. Maybe there are some others out there, but he's already turned out several Power Five schools. I don't think USC is going to the one that says, ultimately, you know what, this is the one that I'm going to shoot for. They got great prestige and, and alumni and money and all that stuff. But as a guy who's born and raised here in the Midwest, I think if he's going to leave this program, it would have to be somewhere that's rooted here in the Midwest. And I just don't see USC being that fit that everyone kind of seems to think that it is.
2: That's Keith Jenkins from the Cincinnati Inquirer. talked to him earlier this week about the Cincinnati Bearcats. An interesting comment there at the end about basically the, uh, the, the two top potential uh, jobs that Luke Fickle would be interested in would be Ohio State, his alma mater, and... Notre Dame so uh, very very interesting there of course Brian Kelly just became Notre Dame's all-time winningest head coach with win number 106 you may have heard that talked about a little bit over the past uh, couple of weeks everywhere we'll take a timeout when we come back we've got uh, some sports wagering angles some different prop bets for this weekend with Jim Irizarry that's when we return Leprechaun Lunch Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Leprechaun Lunch on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT, along with Jimmy Irazuri, Sean Stiers. Notre Dame and Cincinnati kicks off tomorrow at 2:30 here on Sports Radio 960 AM. WSBT. i'm having some computer issues that's kind of been the theme of the last couple of days what uh (laughs) what do you have for us as far as props jim what's what's going on this weekend wait a minute computer problems i know here the last
1: (laughs) okay seriously uh anyway (laughs) anywho uh never never happened. right (laughs) notre dame getting points at home yeah which is which is interesting uh Still, right now it's just a point and a half. Uh, that had opened up at three points, so it's been you know chipping away
2: yeah.
1: all week this week, especially. Uh, it's kind of flirting back and forth between uh, one point and a point and a half. So, uh, depending on where you go, you might yeah. get a different number as far as that goes. But you know, like us, like I always like to think that's pretty close to pick'em territory. If you exactly. ask me, so
2: exactly, and that's 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 basically. You know, once you get under three points, that's that's yeah. basically what it is, anyway. You know, and you know, again, I, I've seen some fans. Well, or you know, are you feeling a lot better about that? You know, being an underdog at home after the way, you know, that they you know they more than covered against Wisconsin last week, and you know, again, it's mm-hmm. like if the, the game, the game easily could have broken in a different direction in the fourth quarter. I I can't put much stock in in that margin of victory last week because it's and I said this earlier this week, that game not this season, but that game reminded me of Tyrone Willingham 2002 Irish. It was all about the defense doing all the work and the offense was just kind of along (laughs) for the ride. You know, so it's it's hard because you're going to see a much better defense, a very similar defense on the other side, and probably the best quarterback you're going to be all season. So that is a line that right now I don't like. You know, like even if it was Notre Dame favored by two, you know, mm-hmm. Cincinnati, whatever. Right. I, I just I don't I don't like I don't like lines that close. Yeah, so.
1: yeah. I, I tend to stay away from those as well. I yeah. you know, like a little bit more than typically. You know, above three, I'm good yeah. with. So, yep. yeah. Uh, the over-under points total set at 50 and a half.
2: 50 and a half. That's an interesting one.
1: Uh, it has gone down from
2: 51. Again, you know. Because and there are
1: some places, too, that have it as low as 47 and a half.
2: Yeah, like you take out. I think I would go under 50 and a half because, like, if, if I'm going to look at last week and I'm going to look at the way most of Notre Dame's games have played out, so far this season, you know, because again, I don't feel like, like Purdue 27 to 13. Now I think that Cincinnati has a better offense, but Notre Dame has a really good defense. And that's just the chess match and how this, because of the familiarity on both sides how this is going to play out I think it's going to be under I think points are going to be at a premium tomorrow because of the two defenses
1: getting back a quick sec to the spread too. the uh, the Irish five and one against the spread in their last six home underdog situations so something else to uh, consider as well some props for you too Uh, of course you know there's who wins yeah, but uh, how many points will they combine for? Who throws for more yards in uh, in the game, Cone or Ritter?
2: I think Cone will. Okay, I think I think that Ritter will have more total yards, but I think Cone's going to have more passing yards. Okay, but you know what? You remember last week we were talking about Cone's over under for for passing yards? It was set at like two twenty five and a half on Fanduel. And I'm like, that is a frickin' lock. you know. <laughs> right. So I go over. and Then what happens? Jack Cone gets knocked out of the game. Horribly under. That yes, that's right. That's right.
1: <laughs> How many turnovers will uh, Notre Dame force versus Cincinnati? The, uh, the number there is one and a half. Over mm-hmm. or under?
2: I like over. I like over. I like that. over, too, on that. They're leading the nation in interceptions right now, second in the nation in total turnovers caused. So, yeah, I like the over
1: uh will notre dame have a non-offensive touchdown against cincinnati mm, see
2: we saw a defensive touchdown and you know two defensive touchdowns and a special teams i'm gonna say no though that was that was the first time we've seen something that crazy in in a while last week so okay i'm gonna say no uh
1: Kyron williams versus chris tyree who scores first
2: Ooh. i'll go kw i like Kyron on that one
1: okay How many receiving yards will Michael Mayer have? The number there is sixty-four and a half.
2: Maybe this is just because it's probably right around what he's averaging right now. But or maybe it's just because it's his number. The the number eighty-seven popped into my head right away. What's he averaging? (laughs) He's averaging sixty-six point eight per game. And what was the over what was the number again? Sixty-four and a half. Sixty-four and a half. So of course they're putting it right there. I'll say over. I think that mayor will uh, will have he'll go over that. I like that
1: and then uh, will Kevin Austin score yes or no.
2: I'm gonna have to say no for this one.
1: okay any particular reason or just uh, not feeling it.
2: Well, he scored twice last week. okay, so is he going to keep it rolling you know against this defense? I've got to think that. I mean Mayer and Austin are gonna be the two main focal points as far as their secondary is concerned, right? So right. I feel like this is a game where we finally see Braden Lindsey do something. Okay. I think I think that I think that if ever there's going to be a game where we see Braden Lindsey step up big, I think that this has the potential to be it tomorrow.
1: All right. Uh, and then uh, let's go to the pro game real quick. Detroit okay. at the Bears. Uh, let's see, Bears three point home favorite against Detroit.
2: Oh man, you talk about a game that you don't want to touch. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, we don't even know who the quarterback is going to be. Right? right yeah. And that's as bad as the Lions have looked. I,
1: I wouldn't even say the Lions have looked terrible either. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I. I almost feel – now, it's in Chicago.
1: It's in Chicago. Man,
2: I just feel like I, I, my my gut is telling me Detroit. Even though it's in Chicago, my gut is telling me Detroit because of the mess that the offense is in right now. For the right. Bears
1: And then uh, Colts at Dolphins. Uh, Miami's two-point favorite, but the uh, over-under is at 42. Ugh. Ugh.
2: Man, I think I'd ha- even for that game I'd have to take the over mm-hmm. on on the points. The line I hate. Yeah. And even Bobby Hensley, who's a Dolphins fan, who's with me on on SportsBeat a couple nights a week, mm-hmm. he's not hot on his Dolphins right now. <laughs> right? So I wouldn't touch that line. I would. I just man.
1: Miami still seems I, to be suffering from the hangover of getting blanked by Buffalo. Yeah. You know, just ugh.
2: It's, it's tough to think that the Colts are going to go on the road to Miami to get their first win of the season. Yeah, 0-4 oh so. they're looking yeah. at with that. Oof. All right. Well, we got to wrap things up. Of course, Vince D'Addario and I will be out at Mishawaka High School tonight for Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Sponsors of our show include Four Winds Casino. If you're ready for your next escape, experience the excitement at Four Winds Casino, Legacy Heating and Air, your cooling and clean air specialists find them online. Legacy Heating and Air Inc. South Bend Orthopedics, team physicians for the University of Notre Dame since 1949. Wings, etc., Grill and Pub, 14 Michiana area locations. Stop in today. Order yours online at togo.wingsetc.com. And of course, our presenting sponsor as well First State Bank, the only community bank headquartered in Elkhart County. First State Bank offers the highest quality products and services greenie is next jim i will talk to you later i will see you then all right sounds good and again sports beat tonight more notre dame cincinnati talk here on sports radio 960 wsbt